Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries Podcast with Pastor James Myers. And now, we dive into the book of Acts. Okay, so we, we are continuing our study. Um, remember, we had stopped at verse 31 last week. Um, and before we get started, I want to, um, I want to preface this by... So we started this series looking at the end of Luke, right, um, and led to his ascension, which led to um, that, the day of Pentecost, which led to the healing of the lame man, which led to their persecution, which leads to this, and then the next episode, but we're going to be, there's somewhat of a shocking turn here, okay, uh, it, gets, gets, uh, it, it gets a little rough, okay, and I just want to prepare you a little bit, but we're going to, so as we come across it, just calm down for a second and wait, you know, and we'll, we'll discuss some things, okay? Um, so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to start at uh, um, verse 32 and then flip to chapter 5. So on yours, it's just the, the right arrow up on the corner. Um, and then we're going to go to, um, what did I decide? I think it's, uh, yeah, uh, verse 16. So again, we're looking at chunks here. Next week, we're going to look at the resurrection. So I wanted to leave some of this, a bunch of this kind of leads into uh, the story of Stephen, who's martyred. And I know that you, you don't know, what, but that's fine. Uh, so I'm, I'm, we're going to break it down from there tomorrow, next week, look at the resurrection, and then, um, then continue here. But is everybody turned to verse 32? Yes, sir. All right, we'll read through and break it down. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And, grace, great, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were, uh, that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each one as anyone had need. Um, and Hoses, who was also named Bar Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a certain man, oh, I'm sorry, go turn. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep, pack, keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carried her, carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Um, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of, them, yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly, 
and believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both uh, men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Okay, that's where we're going to stop for today. Let's go back up to verse 32 of uh, chapter 4. If I can get over here. There we go. Um, so, now the multitude of those who believed were, were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they all had all things in common. We saw this a bit at the end of uh, chapter 2, if you remember. Um, and I told you, uh, I was, we were... Met, we, were, we made the observation that we're gonna that that was basically a generalization of what was following uh, what ha- what transpired in, uh, in chapter two, and this is part of that story. But they're still the believers are all of one are all of one heart and one soul, and therefore knew all the needs necessary for people who lacked, and and they're voluntarily doing this. This is not under compulsion. It's not commanded, as we, as we see in the record of Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, but it's not, uh, it's, not, it, it's not compulsory. It's not forced. Uh, they're not commanded to do this. These people are doing it willingly. Remember, we, we looked at the, the church is really a family. It's a body of, of believers that are all, it's a familial relationship. So these people are more than happy to give their goods for the needs of other people, for the needs of their family. Okay? And even outside that family, which we'll see much later, uh, they're, they're actually giving to Jews at that time who weren't believers of Christ, but that comes much later. Um, So anyway, all right, verse 33. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. So that the apostles were given power to witness to Christ, remember? Uh, That's the day of Pentecost when when they were filled with his spirit, and then they started witnessing of him. The witness specifically to the resurrection I conjecture a few things because, you know, he's not, it doesn't say that they're, they're witnessing to the earthly ministry, to his incarnation, to his crucifixion, uh, nor his ascension. They're preaching and witnessing to his resurrection. Um, so, uh, the, first of all, I think one, one reason that it's um, emphasized here is that, that, remember the last week when we looked at their persecution, the name of Jesus, and then preaching the resurrection was one reason they got arrested. Remember? It was one reason they got in, uh, were taken into custody. So that's one reason. Another, though, which I think seems to, seems to make more sense, every, remember the news about Jesus was huge. It was everywhere. Everybody was talking about Jesus. So everybody bore witness of his earthly ministry, okay? And the incarnation, there, therefore, was you know, already attested to as well. Everybody knew about the crucifixion, but not everybody was witness to his resurrection uh, or the days that followed his resurrection. There were about 500 people, Paul talks about 500, over 500 people he showed himself to. I know we saw 120, that's why I uh, specified that's how many were there at that time, anyway. Uh, So there were many people, not everybody, and not everybody, but remember the, the, our belief our faith is based on their testimony and their eyewitness. Again, we stand on the shoulders of the apostles. The apostles are part of the foundation. All the law, the prophets, the psalms, the apostles are all the foundation. And Christ is the chief cornerstone. Remember that? And, and all the stones are built on that. So I think that's why 
they're emphasizing the resurrection, they're preaching the resurrection, because that fault that's followed by his ascension. It wouldn't make any sense to talk about his ascension if he's still in the tomb. All right. Uh, not, oh, notice not only great, not only grace, but it says here, but great grace was upon them all. Now, again, Luke is using a bit of hyperbole here because great, God's grace is as great as it can be. It doesn't get any greater. <laughs> you know, it's as great as it can be. But the only way, like the the time when I was talking about um, the the uh, theologians back in the day, where they're talking about uh, God's aseity. And they're just in awe, and so they came up with, he's the most perfect being, you know, because again, that's redundant. But so Luke's saying, you know, the only way I can describe this is not just grace. This is, this is fantastic. This is amazing. Great grace. Okay, verse 33 and 35. Nor is there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. If we read, if we read Deuteronomy um, chapter 15, verses 7 through 11, you don't have to turn there. Again, I do recommend you do that when we do this, though, but I know you don't really know how yet, so we'll, we'll do that later. Um, but this is what it says. If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates of your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor, uh, against your poor brother, and, and you give him nothing. And he cry out to the Lord against you, and it become sin among you. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him. Because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land." And notice, all, all of the people are laying their, their proceeds, the, their, either what they've gained from selling, but any, any provisions they are laying at the apostles' feet, which attest to, number one, their necessary but real humility, and ultimately the apostles' supremacy in that respect. Okay, There's, they're still under Christ, but supremacy in that respect, okay? Um, and what I just read from Deuteronomy is really going to apply to Ananias and Sapphira. Okay, these people are commanded, and remember, these the believers right now are all Jews. They're, remember, they start in Jerusalem and scatter out. Right now, they're still in Jerusalem, so they're all Jews. Uh, and and so these people know this. Ananias and Sapphira know this passage. You know, and so and what God is saying there: Don't be grieved when you give. Whenever you find a brother who's in need. You should willingly, happily give to him. He's your brother, okay? And so their, their sin is an utter gross offense to God in that respect, okay? And we're going to get to that, but that sets up the scene a little bit better, I think, uh, insofar as God's command for us to, uh, to uh, take care of the poor. Again, the, these people, the early church, the early believers, aren't doing it because they're commanded. They're, they're willingly do it, but it's important to recognize God did command it, okay? All right, um, so verses 36 and 37, and Joseph, or Hoses, however you want to pronounce it, who, uh, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and uh, laid it at the apostles' feet. Joseph is another name for Joseph, um, and in the Old Testament, so it says he's a Levite. 
This doesn't really matter, but it's kind of, it's just interesting. In the Old Testament, a Levite really didn't possess any land of his own. Uh, all of the, they weren't, they were a tribe, but all of the other, because they were the priesthood, so they would be in all of the other territories, all of the other tribes. They would have areas, but they would never, they could never own their own land, as opposed to the other tribes, the other 12, uh, 11 tribes of Israel. Well, technically 12 tribes, because Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, anyway, uh, had one as well. But they weren't, they didn't have any, have any possession. But by the time of the New Testament, that's changed. What There's, I talked to, uh, um, Briefly about the divided kingdom. Remember, after the Sol- uh, uh, reign of Solomon, kingdom is divided in northern kingdom, kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, I don't know if you remember that, but when they are returned to the promised land, uh, especially the northern tribe, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, when the Assyrians cast them out to return, uh, they scattered them everywhere, and that's what's known as the diaspora or the dispersion which we'll get into at other times. It's, it, it's a fascinating, it's, it's a beautiful thing that uh, James and Peter and Paul does sometimes, alluding to, so the, the diaspora was that, that uh, casting out, that, the, the, the dispersion of the Jews in foreign lands. So not just in Israel, but in foreign lands. Remember, we looked at that uh, in chapter two. All these Jews are coming for Pentecost and they're from all these different areas. Remember, that's part of the dispersion. And what James and Peter does is they refer to the church as the dispersion. So on the one hand, we're, and I'm just going to go ahead and do it. On the one hand, the diaspora was, it was a judgment of God, and it was a scattering out. It was a dispersion. And, but on the other hand, the way James is using it and the way Peter uses it is, according, is, is, is uh, calling the church the diaspora because the church is scattered abroad, and it's a gathering in, though. Remember, Christ says to tarry in Jerusalem uh, until the Spirit comes, Spirit comes, uh, you go out to Judea, you go out to Samaria. I know I repeat this every time, and I'm just going to continue repeating it. And then until the ends of the earth. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. But it's a grafting in. So one was a judgment. The other is a grace, gracious act of mercy to go out into all, of the, all the earth where his church is scattered to bring them in. Okay? It's beautiful. All right. Um, okay. Verse 1 and 2. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Remember, we were looking at, uh, I believe it was on the series about love, and uh, I, I shared a portion with you, um, with Paul, and I, I was, I was kind of emphasizing the incredible, <laughs> what the incredible little word, but, can do. Remember, we, were, we had considered, you know, uh, there's none good, none righteous, you know, uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then Paul turns it, says, but now the grace of God is revealed through his, you know, and, and then goes on. So it turns it. So it starts with this thing, a very terrible thing. And then he says, but now I got some good news. <laughs> but now it's starting with good news and the but is turning here, okay? So now we have a picture of this beautiful fam- family of believers, this beautiful body of believers, and now it's but. It's turning a corner a little bit to this terrible, terrible dark episode. The name Ananias, when translated, means uh, um, whom, just, whom Jehovah has graciously given. Uh, it's also the name of the, uh, the gentleman who 
heals. I know we've talked briefly about when Saul sees uh, Christ, you know, the, it's just refulgent light and he's blinded. And, and then, you know, he's late, he later still goes to Damascus. Well, in Damascus, this man, Ananias, God calls and, and he tells him to go see Saul, who he was hesitant. Remember, Saul's persecuting the church and he's responsible for the death of a lot of believers at that time. So he says, and he's like, God, have you heard about this guy? Anyway, uh, but uh, he's, he goes, he, he's sent and he's the one to heal, uh, obviously, through Christ, uh, Saul. So beautiful, beautiful name for that man. Uh, there's another, there's a high priest uh, who later persecutes Paul and, and acts as a prosecutor in a trial with him again and against the or to the governor under the governor, um, so we have basically the three Ananiases in the book of Acts. One, this guy; the other, the person who uh, helped heal Saul and this dreadful high priest later. Okay, now the first, the so the person who uh, this is just kind of an aside. I just find it interesting. Uh, the person who helped heal Saul. It's a perfectly apt name. You know, whom Jehovah has graciously given. This is a gift. He was, he was a man that God was using as a gift. The high priest, obviously, is, is a reflection. Remember, we, were, we talked about in the series of love, of arrogance. And this is a, gro it's a gross uh, arrogance that gives itself this kind of name. Uh, you know, it's that pride. And, and so it was completely opposite for the character of that man. This man, we see, is closer to that, but we're gonna we're gonna see as we go along. We can't we can't assume too much with this uh, with this narrative, but we'll we'll see that um, here here in a second. Um, well, I guess that's pretty much what I said. All right, Sapphira, uh, his wife, means a sapphire, so a precious stone. And I think this, again, this is all conjecture. You know, this isn't doctrine. <laughs> you know, so. It's, anyway, um, so it, I think it might appear, it might seem to allude to people who appear rich in Christ. You know, you go, you go get around a body of believers, and there are people who really appear really rich in Christ and, 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 and valuable and, and a great witness to Christ, or inside, they're destitute. And that's what these people, that's basically what these people are. These people have heard the testimony of Christ. Acquiesced. Remember uh, the uh, apologetics where you have the notitia, the ascensus, the fiducia, or the fiducia is the real abiding faith. And the notitia is the data and the information, the ascensus, uh, agreeing to that information. They definitely had the first two. And remember, I told you, you can have the first two and not have faith. Okay? Now, I'm not, I don't know these people's hearts. All I'm going by is the narrative. Okay? And so whether they went to hell is beyond my, <laughs> beyond my field. You know, that is God's choice. That is not mine. Uh, but what I, what I, what I, what's definitely in this narrative is a quick, fast, dreadful judgment of God on these people. And that had to be because of a lack of their faith. Okay? At least a lack of the real faith because they're exercising this gross offense. Um, okay, there's also... There's also an occasion um, at the uh, uh, Battle of Jericho, or when Jericho falls, which I'm sure everybody knows about, right? You know? Okay. Well, that's, that's fine. It really doesn't necessarily have to do with that anyway. But basically, before they go, uh, they're commanded, basically, don't 
uh, don't interest yourself. Don't take any of the cursed things. Don't take any of the booty, the booty, the gains, the, you know, the treasures and everything that they get after the battle. It's called booty. Anyway, uh, um, uh, uh, but you can't, you can't take that. There, that's all going to be contributed to the cause of the temple, the tabernacle, and all that kind of a thing. Uh, but Achan, a guy named Achan, ends up taking it. He takes some for himself. And uh, uh, um, uh, Joshua, the general at that time, um, knows about it. God reveals it to him, and he, and he goes to Achan, and he says, you know, to, confess what you've done. You know, don't hide this from me. Tell me everything. And the man confesses. The man, the man says, I have sinned against the Lord, and, and I have taken this, and, and look, it's right over here. It's dug in this hole, and there it is. There is all of it. The silver is under it. All of it's there. And they go and check it out, and sure enough, all of, it, all of it's there. However, they still take him and his family, his children, and they're all stoned to death and set on fire. It's a Look, look, we have to understand when a man, especially within the body of believers, when a man is corrupted, when a man corrupts himself, he corrupts the church. Okay? And that's what's happening. He confessed it. He confessed it. So, by all accounts, he's not in hell. Okay? But he's still judged. Okay? And let's... Let's realize and let's remember, because I'm going to emphasize it later on as well, this wrath is, you know, in this incredible story and everything, God sent his son to a cross for a terrible, terrible death. That compar nothing compares to that. So this terrible occasion, as, as dreadful as it is and as dark as it seems and as, you know, offended as we might be to whatever God's doing, let's pull back a second. And, and give some real reflection and meditate and not be so quick to judge God, okay? And, 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 and if, we, if we see any corruption, if we see, then we need to sit back, meditate, because the fault is ours. The fault is not his. He's perfectly just. He's perfectly loving, okay? So his justice, though, God is love, but God is just. Remember, he's perfect in all of those ways. That means his mercy is perfect. His grace is perfect. His salvation is perfect. But his wrath is also perfect. Okay? We've got to remember that he's not some cosmic Santa Claus. He's not our daddy in the sky. Remember, he's not this genie who just, you know, does as we please. No. He is not to conform to us. We are to conform to him. Okay? So any insensibilities, any... any Problems that we might have with him rest in us. Okay. All right. Um, okay, really quickly, let me just read this. The sin of Ananias and Sapphira was not that they kept back apart, but that they were deceptive about it, as we'll see in the following verses. But let us observe for a moment their gross offense, which led to an immediate and frightful judgment from God. Thus far, we have seen the culmination. I've already said all that. Of everything that's transpired before this time. Um, while the church is in her infancy and signs and wonders are being done, the bold witness, remember the bold witness, uh, to Christ is fearlessly proclaimed and rel relentlessly harassed. Remember, they were persecuted. This couple sought to seem as though they were as pious as other believers. They want, they, they, remember, going back to the love chapter, and why would you give your poor uh, if, without love? How could you possibly give to the poor without love? And we looked at humility. 
And that's what they're looking for. They're looking for recognition. They're not, you know, again, they weren't commanded to do this at all. It was still their land. It was still their possession. And they could do with what they wanted. And we get to that. But what they wanted is recognition to feed their pride. At the very least, um, it's a dreadful offense to God to deliberately appear godly from without uh, in the absence of being godly from within. Let us also beware the tendency to see the church with our eyes and assume the body of Christ should reflect him as we might suppose. Uh, the visible church is full of wheat and tares. Remember, we've mentioned, we've talked about that, Augustine's uh, deal. But the great and true harvest of the Messiah is invisible to the naked eye. It, it just is. We've got the visible church and we've got the invisible church, which we've discussed. Okay, verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled you... Excuse me. Uh, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land yourself, uh, for yourself? So Peter, as Christ's ambassador, knows about this heinous sin somehow. It must have been revealed to him somehow, but he knows about it. He's, he's the leader of this church, and we have to recognize that. <laughs> you know, that's very important. Um, so, and he doesn't hesitate. Norman's words, and just strikes straight at him uh, to admonish this dreadful sin. And, but he asks, but Peter, but Peter said, Ananias, why? Why has Satan filled your heart uh, to keep back, uh, to, to lie to the Holy Spirit? First of all, why though? Well, I remember we talked about that too in the Rebirth series about all the different questions. Remember the who, what, where, when, why, and how? This, this word uh, why can also be translated how, but we definitely know the who. We definitely know what the what, the when, and the where, but the why. And the how is, is ridiculous. You know, how has Satan filled your heart? That was only supposed to be occupied by the Spirit, by God. God's the one who's supposed to fill this heart. But somehow, they're getting together. Remember, why did the nations rot, uh, rage and the people plot in vain thing? That's what they did. They got together. They said, you know, geez, you know, I don't want to just kind of keep the land for ourselves. We're going to look bad compared to everybody else. So... Let's go ahead and sell the land, but you know what? I don't really want to get rid of it either. I mean, you know, we've got all these nice things, so let's just give them some. We don't tell them that because everybody else is giving it all, so let's just give it all or pretend we're giving it all. So they come together and they plot this pointless, vain thing. Terrible, weird, weird problem. Uh, but what a tragedy to be these people have seen all of this, and they're now under the teaching and the, and the rubric of the church. All these beautiful things are happening. And they're still stuck. They're basking in all of his light. They're, so they're witnessing, they're seeing it, but they're still full of utter darkness. What a tragedy. What a terrible tragedy. But again, the church is filled with these people. The church is not a building. We've mentioned this before. The church is a body. She's a body. And we'll see that later on, too. Verse 4, while it remained, was it not your own? After it was sold, was it not your, uh, in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing? Again, there's a why. Uh, this thing in your heart. You have not lied to men, but to God. Now remember, he had just said, uh, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And now he's saying, you have not lied to men, but to God. There's part of the Trinity. He's referring to the Holy Spirit and, is, and God interchangeably. Okay, they're the same. They're one. Uh, but let's also go back to uh, um, uh, verse 3 real quickly. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? It doesn't say, why has Satan filled your mind? 
We're looking at the mind. But remember, when we started that, that's why I even confessed, I am after your mind and your hearts. You can't get to the heart except through the mind. Okay? But the heart does fill the mind with many things. Okay? And so he's, he's saying, how has he filled your heart so that he, your, you, your mind is corrupted because your heart is corrupted? Um, oh, by the way, yeah, uh, again, here's verse 4. This is obviously Peter refuting that, that this wasn't compulsory. This wasn't many. Uh, we said this uh, at the end of uh, chapter 2, but many people love these little parts where they're selling all their land. And like communists and socialists all love that. Well, it's not compulsory. The government's not forcing them to do it. The church isn't forcing them to do it. These people are doing it out of the abundance of their gratitude to Christ. All right. Um, verse 5 and 6. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. The church is meant to find their life in Christ. Apart from life in him, Remember, all there is is death, and we'll look at that. We'll go, we will return to John uh, at the end of this, towards the end of this. Remember, though, those, uh, those who come to the light because of him and everybody else's, people come, the world is already condemned. His, his, his salvation that saves us, it's his redemption that saves us from that, okay? And we'll get to that, but remember, the church is to find her life in Christ, and these men, these people, only wanted the devil. So, if and if they're going to have his enemy, then they're going to have his end. All right. Um, you call the chapter where you're saying. Oh yeah, and remember at the end of uh, chapter two, where Luke is generalizing everything, and he's saying, you know, a great number of people and all this kind of a thing. But he also says, and great fear came upon them all, and we'll see that again. Probably this is one of the reasons. <laughs> uh, probably the persecution as well, though, uh, because people are slow to believe and, be, and become part of the church, which we'll see. Um, okay, verses uh, 7 through 11, real quickly. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She answered, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Uh, look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, uh, uh, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. I guess I should have waited for that until after that verse. But anyway, there it is. Um, uh, but so this time, Peter's actually declaring what's going to happen to her before she falls dead. Now, it wasn't Peter's declaration that caused her to fall dead. That's important to realize. That's all I wanted. Other than that, it's basically a reflection of what happened uh, to Ananias. And again, remember that they had, uh, they had conspired together. Now, Luke is writing this on purpose. Remember, the book of Acts is a synopsis. It's not an exhaustive record of everything that happened in the early church, remember, or about any, many of the apostles. It's a synopsis, okay? And he, so he's using this specific episode, this specific event, this real historic event, and, and he's using it to send to Theophilus 
but also to us. So we got to see the, 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 that's why I tried to point y'all back to how this whole thing started. It started uh, at the end of Luke, Christ's resurrection, his ascension, leading into that day of Pentecost, Peter's sermon, uh, um, the lame man healed, uh, the persecution, and now we have this. And again, all of that's to, uh, to testify to Christ for his people. So we've got to see wh- why. Why is this added? Well, I think it's to keep his body on guard. First of all, again, to, to look at ourselves, but to also beware of wolves in sheep's clothing, like we've mentioned before. You know, we give the benefit of the doubt. We love, you know, like I've, we mentioned in the love uh, uh, um, series. But, but, um, but ultimately, we do need to recognize that. But first, we start with us. Okay, we remember that humility. We consider ourselves low. Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. This great apostle to the Gentiles calls himself the chief of sinners. So let's, let's recognize before we start throwing stones who we are. Okay? But we do also have to recognize that um, the, um, the church is full of wheat and tares. And I'll do that another time. All right. Um, also, notice in verse 11, uh, Luke says the word uh, church at, uh, the, towards the end. It's in verse 11. Uh, Great fear came upon all the church. So this is one of 20 definite. Remember, I was telling you they don't know what a church is. First of all, let's also remember he's writing this after all of this happened. So now the term church is interchangeably used. Uh, but there's also an occasion in chapter 2. But that's not in other uh, manuscripts, which we can talk about another time. But so churches throughout this, one of which, though, is during Stephen's sermon in chapter 7, where he's referring to the assembly in the wilderness. So the Septuagint, remember the Greek translation of the Old Testament, uh, when, when there was an assembly, they would refer, that would be the ecclesia, that would be a church. So ecclesia is the Greek word, uh, which means called out ones or body of, of people. And in ancient Greece... Uh, when you when the people would be called out for uh, certain messages or whatever, that was also called a church. That's an assembly of people. Uh, so um, basically, that's where uh, and and Jesus himself actually uses this word in Matthew sixteen eighteen. And I also say to you that you are Peter. This is after Peter uh, confesses that he is the Christ. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Quickly, that's why um, the Pope. It's basically, a, a des- they say he's a descendant of Peter, or that, that succession it ultimately rests on the rock of Peter, because they're saying, what well, this is saying, uh, that you are Peter, and on this rock, meaning Peter, I will build my church. That's not what he means. He means the testimony, the confession, that Jesus Christ is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. Okay? Peter is the leader of this particular church, but we will see there's a, James is actually a greater leader in, in the Jerusalem church, and he's not even an apostle. All right, verses 12 through 14. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. We already saw where Solomon's porch was. Yet none of the, yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes of both women, uh, uh, both men and women. So, following... This occasion, remember, great fear is falling on everybody. So 
the 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 nominal Christians, so the Christians in name only, are decreasing because they're afraid. You know, if if I get found out to be you know a false witness or not a true Christian, not a true believer, I mean, I might be facing the same fate. However, uh, believers are still increasingly added to them. So these tr- that wasn't a hesitancy that that, that wasn't a, that didn't block so to sp- so to speak the continuation of him bringing his body to himself okay dude all right uh um 15 and 16 so that they so that they uh, brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of peter passing by might fall on some of them also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to jerusalem bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits and they were all healed so they're laying them out so that hopefully even the shadow of Peter might pass by them and they would get healed. We actually see in later uh, accounts of Paul, Paul's given unu- the ability to perform unusual signs. Again, this is all through Christ. But So uh, they just want to get under Peter's shadow, but there are times where uh, uh, Paul, like a handkerchief of Paul is used and somebody's healed. So that's an example. But remember, in, uh, in Luke chapter 8, there's a woman. I don't know if y'all have read it yet, but there's a woman who, who has a run of blood for 12 years. And, and no physician can heal her. Luke actually was a physician, interestingly. Uh, but nobody can heal her. And all she did, she couldn't, well, I won't get into that. But all she, had, all she did was touch the hem of Christ's robe and she was healed. And so he's given the same ability, same power to his apostles. Okay, so the same things that he did, they're able to do. We'll see that uh, um, a girl is restored from death as well, just like Christ did. Um, and, th- and the people respond likewise. They bring all the people, just like during Christ's ministry, when everybody's hearing that he's uh, uh, healing these diseases and all this kind of thing. Everybody's bringing them. They're sick and they're lame and everybody to Christ. Same thing is happening in this account with Peter because Paul... Uh, is later okay so to conclude um, we have to consider this event again soberly and and gently and 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 with reverence to God okay and any aspersions any any discontents that we might have for him and what he does in and through his justice we must recognize that same justice remember and I've said this that same justice that same wrath it's the same justice who saves us. The same justice who, who condemns a sinner is the same one who sees we are sinners in Christ, though. And he sees us, therefore, justified. So, because, remember, so that he can be just and the justifier. His justice is perfect, okay? But he is also thereby the justifier. He justifies, okay? And so we need to remember that and remember the God, the God who is. Remember that episode with Moses at the burning bush and, and he asked, what is your name? God says, I am that I am, that great name, Yahweh. And let's always remember that's who God is. And before we, you know, um, uh, think a few things about him. Um, let, also, let us also kind of think about this. In, 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 with certain examples, okay? Peter denied Christ three times, right? Judas, but, so that's a betrayal, right? 
Judas betrayed Christ, as we all know, uh, and, and the way we, he did it and all that. But one was condemned. The other was saved. Why? Well, ultimately, again, it is the supreme salvation of Christ and up to him. It is his will. It is his desire. So he saves whom he will save, and he will condemn whom he will condemn. Okay, it is absolutely his purpose, his design, and we are under his design. But that said, let's try to consider it um, as best we can, you know, balancing again, this isn't, this isn't doctrine, this isn't, you know, but, the, but we, can, we, can, we can seek past what the Bible knows if we don't accept it as sure things. You know, we'll, we, we see a lot of these preachers who are prognosticators uh, about when Christ is going to come, and, and we need to, they're fools, because now they're, they're, they're outside of the Bible and declaring to you something you need to accept as absolute truth. That's the only absolute truth we have in our disposal right now is the Word of God, is the testimony of God. That's how we know Him. That's how we know Christ. That's that's the data. Remember, um, and and uh, um, so as we do that, let's. So Judas, remember, even after he betrays, he immediately is sorry for it, and he tries to fix everything. Throws the coins in, and then he goes and hangs himself doesn't say he repented at all during that time and remember that son of perdition was prophesied about and he goes to where uh, remember when uh, Peter is uh, they're, they're basically casting lots for who's going to take Judas's place and he says uh, the son of perdition goes to where he was meant to go basically which is hell in that respect because we have it in the Bible uh, but so he was sorry for it but he didn't repent we see Peter running to the tomb from the testimony of these women. He's devastated, and the one little gleam of hope, he quickly runs over there. And then remember, we talked about uh, Christ and his discussion. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he asked him three times because he denied him three times. And we saw the different words about love and how that was applied in that beautiful scene. Uh, but so one, so one, uh, one killed Christ. The other denied him. One responded in gross remediation by killing himself. The other responded in faith and repentance. Okay. Okay. Um, we see many schisms in the church, as we notice in our series on love with the Corinthian church. Remember chapter 12, which led into the um, chapter 13, which is about love. Why were those? We see all these schisms. We see all these divisions. Why aren't these judged like Ananias and Sapphira? We are not called to be sin sinless. We are, we are called to be holy. As a body of Christ, we are called to be holy. God says, you must be holy, for I am holy. And his holiness is perfection. Our holiness is not. Okay? We have to recognize that. We, we, our, our perfection comes on that day. Okay? That's where we will know. As we, are full, we will know uh, just as we are known. Remember? All of, that, all of that light is at its fullness. So we are not perfected this side of heaven, but we are being perfected this side of heaven. Remember, through sanctification, all the tenses of salvation, it involves the past, the present, and the future. Salvation is internal. Okay? He saved us from the foundation of the earth. Whoever he's chosen, he chose from the foundation of the earth, from time, eternity. He saves us now, and then through sanctification, 
and increasing, increasing our likeness to our Savior, we are still being saved in that way. Does that make sense? Until the culmination on that great day when there is no more past, present, and future. We will be eternal. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. I'm going to read these because I have a bunch of verses to, uh, that alludes to perishing. Okay. In addition to this, such deception affects the entire body of believers, the, which we talked about. The Christian who corrupts himself corrupts uh, the church, which I remembered I had written, so I said. We proclaim the Christ who lived his whole life without sin, whereas we cannot go a single day as such. But to call ourselves Christians and yet seek to deceive him, we must be destroyed both for God's justice and for the purity of his bride, the church. He will not have a wife who shares her bed with the devil. Okay, let's remember that. Um, therefore, his wrath is on account of his love. Let's remember that too. Okay, I'm not going to say that one. Uh, but he does not deny, or he does not desire that any should perish, but all his come to repentance. That's in Second Peter three nine. We're going to run through some verses here. But they perish because they did not accept the love of the truth, and so be saved. That's in Second Second Thessalonians two ten. They who do, Christ gives them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one, no one will snatch them out of his hand. That's in John 10, 28. Unless we repent, we will all perish, Luke 13, 3. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for his mercies never end. Lamentations 3, 22, which is interesting. That's in Lamentations. Those who abandon the Lord will perish, Isaiah 1, 28. The hope of the righteous is joy, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Pro, uh, that's Proverbs 10, 28. The wicked are overthrown and perish, but the house of the righteous will stand. As Proverbs 12, 7. A lying witness will perish, as Proverbs 21, 28. For indeed, his enemies will perish, as Psalm 92, 9. And as we saw last week, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. So again, you're con you, the world is condemned, but putting their, your trust in him, trusting him by his salvation, remember, the, the only ones who have ears to hear him are the ones he has given ears to hear him. Saw that uh, during the one during the 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 session on his ascension. Okay, um, okay. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave. This should sound familiar. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. This is the key part, and I, I hope I know this is familiar, but let's. Pay attention to this. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world. Remember, life is light. Okay. Uh, um, uh, where was I? Uh, oh, light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. So remember, the world stands condemned. But that's why God has sent his son for his people. Okay, The world is condemned. The world is set against him. Remember, uh, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? All of the kings of the earth are set against him and all that kind of a thing. But his salvation takes us from dust and ashes to his glory. All right. Um, and, well, uh, okay, let me briefly tell you uh, a little story. It, it, it involves um, 
it involves um, Moses' time. So remember, the, the, the Hebrews at that time were slaves of Pharaoh, all of them. Uh, but Moses, Moses was raised uh, under the Pharaoh. His daughter took him in, and, and he lived and learned all that stuff. And he kind of comes up, well, let me just say this. <laughs> so these are people who are slaves, right? And, and God tells Moses, I have heard the cries of my people, and I am coming to deliver him, them, and I'm going to send you to deliver them, and I'm going to judge Pharaoh. Okay, now look, and we've talked about how the Jews at that time always saw that they only saw themselves as sons of Abraham. You know, they didn't pay attention for, for some reason or another. We even looked at that to this, to this slavery. Because when Jesus is telling, calling them slave, slaves to sin, uh, they're saying we've never been slaves, you know, which isn't true. They were slaves in Egypt. Uh, but anyway, this is, an al- this is an analogy. This is an allegory. This is kind of a metaphor. It's a true historical account. But we're slaves to sin. Jesus says that. We are slaves to sin. And the father of sin, remember the garden, is the devil. And, and, and God tells him when he's cursing him, you know, your, her seed will basically bruise, well, his seed, the devil's seed, will bruise his head and he shall bruise, I'm sorry, his heel and he shall bruise his head. So Satan will be destroyed. The cross was to destroy, remember, life killed death that day, okay? Particularly when he was risen. But the author of life, remember, Archipago, the, the, the author of life, the prince of life, killed death. Okay, so that, remember, those who believe will never die. Remember? Okay, very crucial. But this is not an allegory. So the saving and the deliverance from sin in our account and the judgment of the devil insofar as the Pharaoh's account. Does that make sense? So we must, we must see that um, and recognize that. Today is Palm Sunday, uh, so let's remember the amazing triumph of Christ. And that's, what, that's why I really wanted to allude to that. His triumph is his salvation of his people and his destroying death. And that final culminate. Now again, you know, the, we are living in the last days, so that, that doesn't come to its ultimate fruition until he comes again. Okay? But that has been done already. Okay? We are saved from the foundation of the earth. Okay? All right. Thank you for listening to CFIR Ministries Podcast with Pastor James Myers. We hope you enjoy this message. Please subscribe and follow us. Tune in as we continue in the book of Acts.